first time last week on the radio, and I am so glad you sang that. That's a lot of truth there. Uh, only Jesus. He's the only name you need to know. Good to see our children and our children's church director back there. Margie, we sure appreciate her and her volunteers for helping out with our children. Margie, we appreciate you. <laughs> you know, one of the things that uh, bothers me is, is that our nation is forgetting where we came from. Um, <clears throat> despite what you hear or read in modern-day history books, most of our founding fathers were men of faith. If you just go back and do some research and look at the original documents and uh, read the writings of our, the men that signed our Declaration of Independence and helped write the Constitution, you'll find that most of those men were believers in Jesus Christ. And they wanted to form a nation built on the principles of God and His Word. Now, those foundations are eroding, and, and people are trying to rewrite our history, and, and that aggravates me. <laughs> that ought to aggravate you. There ought to be something we could do about that, and there is. We've got to keep speaking the truth. I don't know how many of you have heard of David Barton. Uh, David Barton is the head of an organization called Wall Builders, and he's not talking about the border. He's talking about uh, the, the wall of protection that needs to be around our country for, from the enemy. Uh, Error and falsehood. But he, his mission and his ministry is to expose and bring to light the uh, founding fathers' documents and writings and teachings and, and help our nation remember where we came from because we're forgetting and we're rewriting it. And unfortunately, we're living the modern version instead of the ancient version. This is what was happening in Romans, and, and when Paul was writing the book of Romans, he was trying to be like David Barton. He was trying to remind the Jews of their spiritual legacy. You see, the Jews, Jesus said to them, the Pharisees in particular, in Matthew 15, he says, you Jews are forgetting the commandments of God, and you're rewriting them according to the traditions of men. And you're forsaking the truth and living a lie. And Paul in Romans chapter 4 is, is reminding them of one of their founding fathers. In fact, the founding father of the Jewish nation. So I've, I've entitled this part of this message, Faith of Our Father, or this part of this series, Faith of Our Father, Abraham. Because Paul takes them all the way back in Romans chapter 4. He takes them all the way back to the beginning of of their faith to remind them how a person comes to be right with God. You see, the Jews rewrote the history books. They said it's by circumcision, it's by keeping the law, it's by doing this and doing that that you're made right with God. But Paul says, no, that is not the case. You know, the term father is used seven times in Romans chapter 4, and, and Paul is using Abraham, who is the highly respected father of the Jewish nation as the example that salvation is by faith and not by any work of the law, including circumcision. Paul reminded them that God 
declared Abraham righteous because of his faith long before he was circumcised, long before the law was given, and even beyond Abraham's physical ability. The main object of Romans chapter 4 is to show that the way we're made right with God is by faith, and that that doctrine is found, Paul is trying to say to the Jew, it's found in the Old Testament. It's found in the scriptures. This is not something new. It's old. In chapters 2 and 3, which we've already looked at, Paul had shown that all of us have failed to keep the law. All of us fall short. And then he says, if the father of the faithful, the ancestor on whom the Jews place so, so much pride, if he was made right with God by faith, then Paul is saying that's the way it is for all people. He starts in verse 1 and 2. Let's pick up there in chapter 4. What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Then he says, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Paul poses a question in this verse. It's a very interesting question. What does the scripture say? say that reminds us that once again that's what we need to be asking ourselves what does the scripture say not what does brother lee say not what does david jeremiah say or one another preacher you listen to and respect or not what your friends say or or not what your boss says what does the scripture say you ever been asked a question and you try to give an opinion based upon what you believe to answer the question, maybe we ought to say, well, to answer your question, what does the Bible say? You see, because it's not about what you believe, because many people believe things that are totally wrong, totally false, totally ridiculous. It's amazing. I'm shocked still, never cease to be amazed at the ridiculous things people believe that are so wrong. So instead of trying to give an opinion statement about what that, that person's asking you, why don't you say, well, what does the Scripture say? Let's look and see what the Bible says. And that's what Paul is doing. He said, listen, guys, Jews, Gentiles, it's not what you think is the way to heaven. It's not how you think you get right with God. What does the Bible say? This is the final word. It's the first word. It's the final word. And it's the right word. Paul quotes Genesis 15, 6 to make his case in this verse. He said, and, and this is a quote, Abraham believed God, Genesis 15, 6. God had promised him things. Now, Abraham had no merit. We're going to talk about where Abraham came from in just a moment. He had no merit. He was not a religious, I mean, he, yeah, he was probably religious, but he was not, he was a pagan. He was an idol worshiper. And God picked him out of a crowd, so to speak, and he made these promises to him. And it says, Abraham believed God, and because Abraham believed God, God deposited into his account righteousness. Not because of any performance, not because of any good work or religious deed that Abraham had done, simply because Abraham believed God, God deposited righteousness on his behalf. Not only does Paul use Abraham and the scriptures as proof of his point, but he emphasizes that this salvation 
through faith is consistent with who God is, with his character. The character that God demonstrated to Abraham throughout his life. And it's this one true God in which Abraham placed his faith, and it's in which we must all, if we're to be saved. You see, faith is not just faith for faith's sake. It's not just faith in anything or faith in any one. It's faith in the one true God through Jesus Christ, his son. So in this series, in this part of the series, in this message, and, and maybe not finish it today, I don't know. We'll see. I know you're looking at that line and going, we're going to be here a while. By the way, it's on the back of your bulletin. Um, but I may not get through it all today, but I want you to see what Abraham learned of God. See, salvation was God. This Paul was, was using Abraham as an example, but he wanted the Jews to realize, he wanted his readers, even the Gentiles, to realize what Abraham learned about God. Because God is the one in whom we place our faith. It wasn't what can I learn from Abraham, it was what can I learn about God through Abraham. And that's what Paul was teaching here. First of all, Abraham learned that God is the giver and not the oer. God's the giver, not the oer. Look at verses 1 through 4. We already read verse 3, so let's finish out with verse 4. Now to him who works, verse 4, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. God will owe no man ever anything. God's not going to owe you or me anything. The Bible says in Romans 13, 8, owe no man anything but love. God's not going to violate his word to owe us anything, so he's not going to ask us to earn something where he has to pay something to us. God will not be indebted to anyone. If salvation were accomplished by our work, then God would owe us and it would not be considered grace, but debt. Grace is giving what is not earned or deserved. Debt is owing what has been earned. If I work for you, you hire me to do a job, and I do that job, then you owe me money. How many of you live by that rule? Come on, liars, raise your hand. All of you do. Do you go to work? You live by that rule, right? Right. But that's not how it works when you come to God. But that's how many people translate their walk with God. I work, I do good, I go to church, I sing my songs, I read my Bible, I tithe, da, 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 da. God owes me a good life. God owes me good things. God owes me heaven. God owes me. And we think we deserve these things. And we look down our, our dignified noses at people who don't do what we do. And we say they don't deserve a good life. They don't deserve good things from God. This was how the Jew was living. They looked down their noses at the Gentiles. They don't do good things. They're not good people. But they were forgetting that Abraham who Abraham was. There was a time when Abraham was not a Jew. In fact, they weren't called Jews when Abraham was alive. Grace is getting what is not earned. And we've earned, how much have we earned before God? 
How much? Nothing. That's what he says in verse 1. What did Abraham find according to the flesh? What's the answer? Nothing. He found nothing. Jesus said in John 6, 63, the, the Spirit is the one who gives life. The Holy Spirit, the flesh, profits nothing. You can't do anything to earn any standing before God. None of us can. Philippians 3, 3 says, here's how we're supposed to live. Have no confidence in the flesh. No confidence in the flesh. The flesh profits nothing. So therefore, according to verse 2, there's no boasting before God. If Abraham was justified by works, he would have something to boast about. But there's no boasting before God. For by grace are you saved through faith. Grace through faith. There's your, there's your formula. God extended his grace, gave me what I did not deserve. I reach up with my faith and receive it. Grace through faith are you saved. It is a gift of God. When you get a gift, how many of you had to work for your Christmas present? You got a gift, yeah? yeah usually that's the way it is for daddies. <laughs> but when you get a gift, you had an earnest, a gift. It's free. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should what? Boast. We have nothing to boast about before God. Galatians 6.14 says the same thing. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. If we boast, Paul says, make it about Jesus. That's what Brian just sang about. Only Jesus. I'm not here to leave a legacy. It's not about what we accomplish here on earth. That's not what your life is about. If that's what you think your life is about, you're spinning your wheels. Your life as a believer is to be lived to leave Jesus to, to, to let others know him, to leave a legacy for him. We're going to see that in Abraham in just a minute if we get that far today. Salvation is an expression of God's grace to sinful man. It's not something we can earn, nor would we ever be worthy of it. You know, if you stop sinning today, let's say this were possible, that you would stop doing any sin today and never sin the rest of your life. And let's say you lived another 40, 50 years. You never sinned again. First of all, you'd get stinking proud. Nobody could stand to be around you. And, that, of course, that's a sin. But let's say you could even overcome pride. You think that would earn you more standing with God? Not an inch closer. Now, that blows some of your mind. Because you've allowed what the Jews believed to infiltrate our, your heart, a legalistic heart. It's something we cannot ever be worthy of. And Paul says, it's either grace or it's works. Grace cancels works. And if you choose to live by works, that cancels grace. And if you choose to live by works, how many good works do you have to do to earn God's righteousness. First of all, he says it's impossible, but if you do try to live that way, you have to be perfect, never sinning once. Well, I've already learned from chapter 2 and 3, it's impossible. We're all sinners. 
But the Bible tells us in Titus 3, and uh, I want you to listen to what Paul wrote to Titus. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. That pretty much much sums us up, wouldn't you say? Once. It says, for we were those things. But, verse 4, when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that, having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That passage shows us what we once were and what we are and how we got there. And it's not of works. God is the giver, not the heir. He owes you and me absolutely nothing. But he gives us everything. Grace. Amazing grace. That's what Abraham learned about God. That's what he wants you to learn about God. He owes you nothing. You can earn nothing from him. He gives it by his grace. I want you to notice, secondly, the thing that Abraham learned about God that Paul points out is that God is the accounter, not the accuser. Look at verses 5 through 9. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Does this blessedness then come only upon the circumcised or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. Now, God is the accounter. Eleven times in Romans 4, that word is used. Now, it may be translated in your version as it is in mine in three different ways. Accounted, counted, imputed, or reckoned. All four of those English words come from the same Greek word, which means to put to one's account. Verse 4 is the first mention of it here in Romans 4. Abraham believed God and God deposited righteousness in his account. Have you ever done something? Have you ever had someone work for, for you and then you get the money? 
of you wish that's the way it worked? That is the way it works before God. Jesus Christ accomplished the work. What do you think he meant on the cross when he said, it is finished? And then if you look at the translation of that phrase, it's translated paid in full. So the work was completed by Christ and he paid righteousness into your account. Amazing. Accounted, it's a banking term. One author put it like this, when a man works, he earns a salary and the money is put into his account. But Abraham did not work. Look at verse 5. To him who does not work. Now, he's not saying you shouldn't work and you get to eat. We know that's not what he's saying. He's talking about our spiritual walk. Abraham did not work for his salvation. He simply trusted God. It was Jesus Christ who did the work on the cross, and his righteousness was put on Abraham's account. The work of salvation is already done. Let me ask you this. What could you or I add Or what would you add to the work of Christ on the cross? What could we add? To think we could add something is the epitome of pride and arrogance. Oh, I can do this. Oh, and you think that adds to the work of Christ on the cross? How arrogant. The Jews said, well, I need to be circumcised, or or I need to keep the law, or I need to do this. I can't do this. I can do that. All that's arrogance. And Paul says later in another letter, he said, that has the appearance of piety and righteousness, but it's of no use. Verse 5 contains a very shocking statement. It's actually mind-blowing, if you think about it. Listen to this statement in verse 5. Him who justifies the ungodly. Now, we learned last week what justify means. It means to make one right with God. Maybe a way to think about it would be like this. This is a simplified definition, but if you just pronounce the word slowly, just if I'd never sinned. That's how God treats us. But he says here, he justifies the ungodly. (laughs) It would make more sense if he said he justified the what? The godly. But he justifies the ungodly. Isn't that mind-blowing? Why is this so shocking? Well, because for his whole life, the Jew had heard the law had heard God say, I will not justify the wicked. Exodus 23 says that. The Old Testament judge was commanded to condemn the wicked. So now, how is it that God justifies the ungodly? Let me ask you something. Chapter 2 and 3 of Romans, he says all are ungodly. So if God doesn't justify the ungodly, who would he justify? No one. There's none godly. So if God doesn't justify the ungodly, who does he justify? No one. Paul is saying here that God made a way for sinful man to be made right with him. 
that there is a way for unrighteous people to be righteous, but it's not by our behavior or our good deeds, but by our faith and what Christ has already done through the, on the cross. You see, it's interesting to me. I listened to Charles, Stan, uh, Charles Stanley and Adrian Rogers this week. I just happened to catch them on the radio as I was in my car, and both of them were preaching on this, this subject. And I thought, Lord, you're teaching us something. And, and one of them said, Christianity, and I agree, is not behavior modification. If we focus on changing someone's behavior in order to lead them to Christ, first of all, we discourage them because they realize how impossible it is. And perhaps they've tried many times to change their behavior and have failed and they're already in a state of hopelessness. And now we're telling them, you got to do better. How hopeless that must feel. You know, even as a believer, how challenging it is to live above sin. So if we focus on behavior modification, we're trying to get somebody to change somebody's, their behavior in order to lead them to Christ, we're focusing on the law and works and not on God's grace. And that's not to say that works are not important. But we can't remember Ephesians 2.10, for we're, by grace we're saved through faith, but he says, unto good works. Jesus starts on the inside. He transformed the inner person. Sometimes people think, well, i got to get cleaned up to come to God. I can't get saved because I'm living such a dirty life, and I can't come to God because my life's too dirty. That may be some of you here this morning. You won't get right with God because you're so wrong with Him, and you think God will never accept you. Listen, if you thought you could clean yourself up before you come to Christ, that's pride and arrogance. you got to realize you're completely hopeless. There's nothing you can do to clean yourself up before God ever, ever, ever. you just got to take a step of faith and say, God, I'm a filthy scum, and I need you to clean me up. Faith. Faith. Jesus will move in. He'll begin that transformation process in your life. He deposits that righteousness on your account, even though you don't feel righteous. It's already into your account because of your faith. And you have a new person living inside you, giving you the power and the ability to live before him rightly. So how can it be God is the accounter, not the accuser. How is it that God doesn't accuse us? Who's the accuser, by the way? It's the devil, Satan. That's what the Bible says. He's the accuser of the brethren. By the way, when you hear words like, you're no good, God won't forgive you, you've gone too far, he doesn't love you, he'll never take you back, where do you think those come from? Satan. But how many times have we heard those voices and we've listened to them? And we don't come back to God because we have this sin and we think, well, I can't bring that to God. I've done, I've done asked him a million times. He's not going to do it a million and one. Remember what Peter said, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother? Shall my brother offend me and I forgive him? And you know, the lesson there is that we ought to forgive often, as often as our brother or sister needs it. Jesus said that to Peter. You think Jesus is going to live outside of his own law, his own teachings? That doesn't give us permission or license to sin. It's an invitation to bring our sin before him and not listen to those condemning thoughts. How is God able to not accuse? Well, 
Go back to that passage in Romans, verse 7 and 8. We're going to look at this again. David in the Psalms, this is a quote from Psalm 32. How blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. You see, he removes your sin. Forgive means to remove it from the record. Remove it from the record. You know what that means. It means it's expunged. Maybe you've done some things that have been on your record with the law, and you've had them expunged, removed from the record. And what happens is God expunges that. He removes it from the record. It's not just a blank record now. He takes his righteousness and deposits that righteousness into that, that account that once held wickedness. It now holds righteousness because of my faith, because of your faith. 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul says, For God made him, Jesus Christ, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ. And the Bible says, Colossians 2.14, that God took the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. Now, I just want you to imagine this with me, that there's some document somewhere with all your sins written down. All of them. All of them. Be a long list, wouldn't it? Can you imagine that, that God knows all that that we've ever done? Every wrong word, every wrong action, every wrong thought, everything we didn't do, we should have done, every, everything, all there. Handwriting of ordinances, all there. It's like in a court of law. We got our prosecuting attorney standing before the judge. And he's saying, Judge, here's the proof that this guy needs to die. And the judge sees the proof, sees the handwriting of ordinances. Well, God the judge, according to Colossians 2.14, word where it says he took the handwriting of ordinance, it means he snatched. He snatched it from the hands of the devil. Colossians 2.14 nailed it to the cross and said, my son just took care of you so he can go free. That's how God can be the accounter, not the accuser. There's nothing to accuse. Does that not blow your mind? You go, wait a minute. I can think of a million things I've done wrong. God goes, hmm, I don't seem to remember any. You go back and look at the Old Testament. God removes our sin. says he cast it into the sea of his forgetfulness. How can he not accuse? Because there's nothing on the record him to accuse you of why because of your faith in the finished work of Jesus listen that is powerful powerful faith is the key you see that's hard to swallow now remember last week 
talked about how some people take that truth and they run away with it. They run away from the Scripture with it. They say, okay, well, if that's true, then that means I can live as I want to and it's all taken care of. Listen, remember he said last week, let God be true and every man a liar. God didn't say that, did he? Did he say, because of this truth, you can sin as much as you want to? Is that what God said? Then we're not to infer something God did not say. In fact, when Jesus moves in because of your faith in him, and he cleans you up, gives you a new life, that's the farthest thing from your mind. And so, my friends, if that's how you're thinking today, that's a carnal mind that's far from God, and you're probably not saved. If you think, well, I can just keep on sinning and get away with it, then you need to come back to Christ, because that's not the message. The message is sinners come to Christ. He cleans them up. God puts our, his righteousness in our account. And then our lives are brand new. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things pass away, all things become new. See, the Jew in that day was rewriting the spiritual history. It's still around today. Legalism. You've got to do this if you want to be saved. You've got to keep doing this if you want to keep being saved. Let me ask you this. We're going to talk about this later. If we're saved by faith, how do you think we're kept saved? Faith. The same grace that saves us is the same grace that keeps us saved. Because there's some that believe you can be saved by faith, but you're kept saved by your works. That's just as arrogant. Again, we're not to infer that after we're saved, we can do bad works and we're still saved. That's not the inference. That's not the truth of the matter. So let's remember and ask ourselves the question, what does the scripture say? And maybe we need to ask, and what does it not say? Don't say something that the scripture doesn't say. Go only as far as the Bible goes. It's when we go farther that we start cults. Or when we stop short. What does the scripture say? That I'm saved by faith only in Jesus Christ. Have you been saved that way? I know there's a lot of religious people looking at me this morning. All of us are to some extent. But is your faith in you? In the fact that you identify as a Christian or identify as a church person or identify as a Baptist or is your faith in the one true God through Jesus Christ? Why don't you ask yourself that question as we bow our heads? Why don't you ask the Holy Spirit that question as we bow our heads?